Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welcome to the Tech Meme Ride Home for Monday, January 11th, 2020. I'm Brian McCullough. Today, once again, did some things happen since we last spoke? A rundown of especially the parlor situation. And it's the first day of CES, so here's what we're missing in terms of gadget announcements, cool gadgets we'd love to get hands-on time with, and the weird gadgets that always make CES so fun. So lately, if I don't talk to you for 72 hours or so, literally like two weeks of headlines can happen in that period. And that puts me in a bit of a bind because by the time I do get to talk to you, it's kind of old news, right? Twitter officially banned President Trump, it seems like three years ago now. But at the same time, for continuity's sake, maybe it's worth at least running everything down so we're all on the same page. In aid of that, let's just blaze through this and then we'll do a tiny bit of analysis at the end. Friday night, Twitter officially suspended the at real Donald Trump account, quote, due to the risk of further incitement of violence, end quote. And that was only one platform banning. The list of bans to Trump accounts range from Facebook to Google, YouTube, Snapchat, TikTok. That one might have enjoyed pulling the trigger on Trump, you might imagine, because just a week ago it was Trump that was threatening to ban them. But also, even Pinterest and Shopify have removed Trump accounts. Then, word started trickling out that Parler was in trouble. It first got taken down from the Google Play Store. Apple then gave them 24 hours and then suspended Parler from the App Store, saying Parler, quote, has not taken adequate measures to address threats to people's safety on its platform. So at that point, that's not great for Parler, right? But you could still sideload the app on Android, and if you had already downloaded Parler on iOS, you could still use it. But then, this is something else entirely. AWS announced that it would suspend Parler's cloud account. Quote, In an email obtained by BuzzFeed News, an AWS trust and safety team told Parler Chief Policy Officer Amy Peikoff that the calls for violence propagating across the social network violated its terms of service. Amazon said it was unconvinced that the service's plan to use volunteers to moderate calls for violence and hate speech would be effective. Quote, Recently, we've seen a steady increase in this violent content on your website, all of which violates our terms, the email reads. It's clear that Parler does not have an effective process to comply with the AWS terms. Terms of service, end quote. Now, even there, there are, of course, other ways to operate an app or a website beyond AWS, although migrating off AWS, as we've discussed before, is not the easiest thing in the best of circumstances. But it got even worse because AWS apparently isn't alone. Word has been trickling in that basically every vendor from, I don't know, Zendesk to MailChimp has been pressured to drop Parler as well. Parler's CEO says the company has, well, let me quote, 
Parler CEO John Metzi said today that his social media company has been dropped by virtually all of its business alliances after Amazon, Apple, and Google ended their agreements with the social media service. Quote, every vendor from text message services to email providers to our lawyers all ditched us two on the same day, Metzi said today on Fox News. Matsy conceded that the bands could put the company out of business while raising free speech issues, calling it, quote, an assault on everybody. Quote, they all work together to make sure at the same time we would lose access to not only our apps, but they're actually shutting all our servers off tonight off the internet, Matsy said. They made an attempt to not only kill the app, but to actually destroy the entire company, end quote. There has been a lot of talk over the weekend about how people suddenly have been Born again to the idea of an open, decentralized web being an important thing in this era of major tech platform oligarchs. The idea of, you know, maybe having your own servers under your own control isn't that bad an idea after all. But also, I'd point out, in this world of you choose this company to do your payroll, this company to do your HR, this company to do your customer service, all these things that used to be departments inside any company of size, yeah... In a bespoke world, if you've outsourced most of the functions to your operations to providers who operate on a terms of service basis, then yeah, you too could wake up one day and not have any operation to call your own at all. Look, there is a metric ton of analysis on this, and we could go on and on harvesting the takes on all sides of this, but Generally, we can agree that Ben Thompson is one of the smart dudes we tend to trust, right? So I'm going to outsource to him for the one take to quote from today. This is from his morning subscriber newsletter. To sum up, the reason everyone gave for cutting Parler loose was that Parler wasn't doing enough to moderate what was happening on their platform, quoting Ben. If there is an expectation of Facebook-style moderation for every new social network, well, that means a Facebook-sized moat to overcome. And needless to say, Parler, even if it wanted to, was not going to put that together in 24 hours, which is the grounds on which Apple, Google, and Amazon acted. Here is the fact of the matter. An assault on the nation's capital in an attempt to undo an election result did in fact occur, and said assault was in fact organized on Parler, at least in part. While I recognize and in a vacuum have extremely deep concerns about the implications of Apple, Google, and especially Amazon's actions in this case, it is notable how many of the free speech absolutists blasting this decision don't even seem to acknowledge what happened on Wednesday. In other words, we are not operating in a vacuum, end quote. I'm going to skip down a bit in his piece and quote again. So Facebook and Twitter and Apple and Google and Amazon and all of the rest were wrong, right? Well, again, context matters. And again, the context here was an elected official encouraging his supporters to storm the Capitol to overturn an election result and his supporters doing so. What I believe happened this weekend was a uniquely American solution to the problem of Trump's refusal to concede and attempts to incite violence. All of corporate America collectively decided that enough was enough and did what Congress has been unable to do, effectively ending the Trump presidency. Parler, to be honest, was just as much a bystander casualty as it was a direct target. That the tech sector is the only one with the capabilities to actually make a difference is what makes the industry stand out. I am not, to be clear, saying that this is some sort of ideal solution. As I noted last week, impeachment is the way this is supposed to go, and hopefully that still occurs. And, as I also noted last week, if this triggers a debate about the power of tech companies, all the better. 
This solution was, though, a pragmatic and ultimately effective one, even if the full cost will take years to materialize, again more on the long-term repercussions soon. This is also why I wish Twitter and everyone else would have been honest about the exceptional nature of the situation both last week and for the last four years. The Supreme Court famously wrote in Bush v. Gore that, quote, our consideration is limited to the present circumstances, end quote, which many interpret as meaning that the case should not be used as precedent. It was simply a decision that had to be made in extraordinary circumstances. That, I think, is the best way to interpret what happened this weekend, and as unsatisfying as that explanation may be, it is as American as apple pie, end quote. One more thing to make note of before we leave this topic. I've been hearing a lot of chatter about tech companies, especially the ones we've just discussed, being concerned this morning about security and the safety of their employees. San Francisco police are reportedly preparing for a demonstration this morning outside of Twitter headquarters. Now, Twitter HQ has largely been abandoned since Twitter was among the first to go work from home, but still... I know many of you listening right now work at the companies I've just been talking about, and no doubt you've been getting some concerned internal emails today, so be safe, everyone. When you go through airport security, there's one line where the TSA agent checks your ID, and another line where a machine scans your bag. The same thing happens in enterprise security, but instead of passengers and luggage, it's end users and their devices. These days, most companies are pretty good at the first part of the equation, where they check user identity, but user devices can roll right through authentication without getting inspected at all. In fact, 47% of companies allow unmanaged, untrusted devices to access their data. That means an employee can log in from a laptop that's had its firewall turned off and hasn't been updated in six months, or worse, that laptop might belong to a bad actor using employee credentials. Collide finally solves the device trust problem. Collide ensures that no device can log into your Okta-protected apps unless it passes your security checks. Plus, you can use Collide on devices without MDM, like your Linux fleet, contractor devices, and every BYOD phone and laptop in your company. Visit collide.com slash ride to watch a demo and see how it works. That's K-O-L-I-D-E dot com slash ride. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you ka-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did-we-just-hit-a-million-orders stage. Shopify's there to help you grow, whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits. Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify transformed ResumeWriters.com from the spaghetti code backend I cobbled together in college to the world-class commerce platform it sits on today. 
And Shopify can do the same for your business. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash ride, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash ride now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash ride. CES kicked off today. We'll be getting the usual keynotes all this week, but since the whole affair is virtual this year, of course, I thought I'd begin to share some of the cool stuff that's dropped that normally I'd be able to tell you about firsthand. A lot of laptops get showcased this week. Stuff like HP's new $999 HP NV14 laptop, which is rocking 11th gen Intel chips, quoting Android Authority. The HP Envy X360 from 2020 was one of last year's most well-reviewed laptops. With the Envy X360, you got the style and design aesthetic of the high-end Spectre series, but at a much lower price. At $999, the HP Envy 14 is quite expensive. In fact, that price really blurs the line between the mid-range Envy family and the high-end Spectre series. Regardless, this seems like a terrific machine if you can afford it. What made the price go up? Inside, the HP NV14 houses an NVIDIA GeForce GTX 1650 Ti graphics card and an 11th gen Intel Core i5 chip. This makes it far more powerful than most other NV models. Of course, if you're not a gamer or a creator, that hardware is going to be overkill for your needs. HP hopes you are a creator, though, because that's what its marketing team seems to be gunning for. The laptop's sleek, minimalist design is quite trendy, and the power of that graphics card will make editing video on the go a breeze, end quote. And speaking of envy, it seems HP has a case of surface envy. Say hello to the HP Elite Folio, which takes direct aim at the Microsoft Surface form factor. Android Authority again, quote, In 2021, we now have the HP Elite Folio. Like its predecessor, the screen is on a dual hinge that allows you to work in a traditional clamshell style and then quickly switch to a tablet-style experience. However, that's pretty much where the similarities end. There's no leather on the Elite Folio. Instead, HP opted for being environmentally conscious by using 90% recycled magnesium by weight and even some ocean-bound plastics inside. The biggest difference, though is that the HP Elite Folio has a second-gen Qualcomm Snapdragon 8CX 5G chipset. The previous Spectre Folio had the usual Intel Core processor. This makes the Elite Folio a wildly different product considering how young Windows on ARM is at the moment. Still, the Elite Folio seems like a terrific machine for those folks who are cool with jumping into untested waters. You can get up to 16 gigabytes of RAM, up to 512 gigabytes of internal SSD storage, and a 3 to 2 1920 by 1280 display covered in Gorilla Glass 5. And since it has that mobile processor, you'll be able to optionally access 5G cellular networks, no hotspot needed, end quote. And when I talk about missing out on the hands-on stuff at CES, I'm talking about stuff like this. Last year, I tried on a lot of AR tech because I felt like at the time we might be on the cusp of AR breaking through, and if I were in Vegas in a parallel universe right now, I'd want to try on Lenovo's new Think Reality A3 smart glasses that can show up to five virtual 1080p displays and comes with an 8-megapixel camera and two fisheye cameras for room-scale tracking, quoting Engadget. 
The manufacturer is presenting the ThinkReality A3 as a pair of smart glasses that can be used for applications like 3D visualization and augmented reality-guided workflows at a time when the world is, quote, looking to adopt new technologies for smart collaboration, end quote. Unlike the first Think Reality model, the A6, which looks like your typical mixed reality headset, this one fits more like a pair of chunky sunglasses. Companies can modify it with Lenovo's industrial frame options, though, to make it more durable or safer. As you'd expect, the PC edition uses Windows software tools and applications. Meanwhile, the A3 Industrial Edition relies on Motorola's Think Reality software platform for hands-free AR tasks. Lenovo envisions various applications for the headset across industries and believes it can be used wherever space and privacy are limited. It can be used in factories, laboratories, retail locations, and hospitality spaces, for instance. Since it's meant for enterprise use, Lenovo didn't release a consumer price point, but it announced that the A3 will be available in select markets worldwide starting mid-2021, end quote. And a lot of the fun of CES is just walking around the floor and stumbling on little off-the-wall things that you never knew somebody needed, you never knew there was a market for, but once you see it, you kind of want it for yourself. Things like this new super-compact 60% mechanical gaming keyboard for just 99 bucks. quoting The Verge. Most major gaming peripheral companies have already introduced 60% mechanical keyboards, which are more compact than full-size versions and have become trendy in recent years for aesthetic and size reasons. But at CES 2021, HyperX is finally following suit by debuting its first compact model called the Alloy Origin 60. There are fewer keys here than one of its full-size options, but not necessarily fewer functions. You'll find most of the keys available have secondary functions that can be activated by holding down the function button. HyperX says that its keycaps included are PBT double shot, which means that they're far more resistant to getting shiny and having the lettering wear away after lots of use. This model will release in the U.S. on February 22nd for $99.99. On the topic of availability, HyperX also announced during CES 2021 that its Pulsefire Haste Wired Gaming Mouse Cloud 2 Wireless Gaming Headset and the Cloud Revolver 7.1 Wired Gaming Headset are all available globally, end quote. And then, of course, CES is also great for the wacky stuff. Stuff like this $3,000 doggy door. Think of this as sort of a garage door for Fido with a little ring doorbell technology mixed in, which is fitting because it's built by old-school garage door maker Chamberlain, quoting The Verge. They've built a fully automated, internet-connected pet door for your dog, one that gives them the freedom to go outside whenever they want, or lets you remotely activate it yourself. Your pet can approach the door to ask you permission while you monitor its cameras from an app, one that also automatically tracks your pet's comings and goings in a diary. It's called the MyQ Pet Portal, and it's packed with tech, including twin 1080p cameras that beam encrypted video to your phone anywhere in the world via Amazon S3 servers, IR and light touch safety sensors to avoid pinched tails, microphones and speakers to talk to your pet, plus the encrypted Bluetooth low-energy beacon that goes around your dog's neck. The door won't open until your pet is stationary for a few seconds to make sure they actually want to go out, and it closes automatically behind them. 
Pre-orders for the MyQ Pet Portal start today at an eye-watering $3,000 and up, which at first blush makes it seem like exactly the kind of ostentatious, far-out product concept that graces the CES show floor in Vegas every year. An awesome idea to gawk at, but not something anyone actually needs. After all, can't you already buy a simple pet flap for well under $100? But the world's largest garage door opener company seems dead serious about building the best doggy door ever made. During the COVID-19 pandemic, roughly a dozen staffers have been toiling away in their own homes, guided by extensive surveys, focus groups, and testimonials about what pet owners might need to actually trust a product that lets their furry companions in and out of the house. Today says product lead Beryl Altener, pet doors don't necessarily have that trust. Only 34% of pet owners who let their pets outside have a pet door, according to a national survey conducted by the company. That means 68% are doing without, forcing pets to wait for humans to let them outside, forcing themselves to schedule their lives around their pets, or both. Quote, there's a lot of guilt among pet parents in the inability to tend to pets' needs in a timely fashion, said Altener, showing me both survey results and video testimonials from individual pet owners, end quote. As a dog owner, once again myself, I can vouch for the utility of me not having to take Archie out to the sidewalk all the time. But then again, for $3,000, the sliding door to the backyard works just fine. Thank you very much. By the way, about a week ago, I went on a Twitter jag one night about the movie Tenet. It was largely tongue-in-cheek about how impossible I felt Tenet was to follow. That was because I was watching it while on Twitter and in between taking Archie outside and also reminding folks to stop hitting their sisters. Let's just say Tenet is a movie that demands 120% of your attention or you're totally lost. So this weekend, I finally got the chance to give it, shall we say, 90% of my attention. And verdict is, it's not bad. Definitely worth your time. But I will say this. I've heard this was one of Christopher Nolan's oldest movie ideas, so given that this is maybe the purest expression of his obsession with time, time travel, narrative jumps, and the like, here's hoping that now that he's gotten to do Tenet, maybe he's gotten all of that out of his system. I'd describe Tenet as being like Memento or Inception, but stripped of all characterization or emotional narrative. It's just bare bones, the puzzle box, and nothing but the puzzle box. Which is fine, that's cool and all, but I mean, dude, enough with the movies about time jumps and time travel. You even managed to mess with time in Dunkirk. Christopher Nolan is a supremely talented filmmaker, so i just love for him to tell a story for once, without all the messing around with timelines. Stuff that has frankly become a tired filmmaking tick of his. It was a cute gimmick at first, the first, I don't know, seven times he did it. Now it's just a magic trick that has become annoying. Something, something, the prestige. Anyway, that's all for this edition of Ride Home Movie Reviews. TM, talk to you tomorrow. Tomorrow.